0: So, I was reading the news today, and it said that, among other things, like the entirety of the economy, mm-hmm. millennials were killing fabric softener, which is an utterly useless thing that I've never used in my life and never regretted not having. Right. Death by omission. So, I am going to toast to millennials killing things, because I think the proper verb is millennials exterminating things. Wow. Or done predator. done need to mm-hmm. fucking die. Yeah, millennials mm-hmm. are the apex predator, right. and cheers to it. That's right. Get out of here. Go get, get all... Em. everybody i'm caleb i'm spencer and this is the mix six where we have six conversations and drink six beers and talk at uh, variable links about both sometimes more about the beers sometimes more about one or the other right. i mean it's yep. really it's really a seesaw shit gets super messy yeah yeah uh so here in the pre-party we talk about our rating system which is Five points across the board, otherwise utterly random. Yep. So this one was suggested to us by Jeb, and frankly, we thought about it for way too long compared to the way we think about other rating systems. We really did. So Spencer, why don't you tell us about it? So uh, Jeb Dale
1: is a podcast listener, nay, friend, who we've known for quite some time, and I got to know the Jeb. The angles to our marks, if you will. Wow. Communist Caleb. If there were, dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, if you're dun, all dun, drinking dun, every dun, time, dun, Caleb dun, seems dun. more communist, and and you were binging <laughs> Wait, these. Was episodes, that the
2: Tetris theme or the Soviet Union theme?
1: Both. <laughs> A little bit of both. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, so we both got to know Jeb really well over Destiny. As you know, we've talked about it at length, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in this episode. Spoiler: Destiny is a game that is both endlessly fascinating and endlessly frustrating to both of us. And so,
0: for we've our, done a Ready Player Drunk about it.
1: We have done a whole segment about Destiny. But today,
0: we're by the way, do, y'all want to get on Destiny Two with us? Yeah, September 8th. See you there. We will. I will be off work. PlayStation Network. I have suddenly come down with a flu. That's right. We'll see you
1: there. So our rating system this week is on Destiny exotics. They are probably the most difficult weapons to find in the game. In theory, they should distinguish your playstyle and character. And they always do, but sometimes not in the right direction. And sometimes they're the fucking worst. And so we've come up with a five-point system for those different exotics. And a one today, a beer that has absolutely wrecked you, changed your life for all the wrong reasons, (laughs) is a Thorn. Thorn is a hand cannon that was introduced into the Destiny universe universe. It did damage over time, which is something that no other weapon really Actually, did. Actually, I've a
0: statistic about this on Reddit. Yep. Thorn, over the course of its non-nerfed killed the destiny pvp base by 45 percent single-handed yeah it doesn't shock me yeah
1: thorn ruined the game of destiny (laughs) for a brief period of time if you didn't have one you couldn't play against one (laughs) and it took months for the game developers to figure that out if you drink a thorn it has ruined drinking for you it's like drinking a thorn literally literally a
2: thorn does that mean it's good or bad awful okay
0: Awful Not what, good Would you think Drinking
2: a thorn Is right. good Producer Raff, Raff? What You, you said it ruined that drinking for you Like it meant Everything else Was ruined for you That you know that, that. No not in a good way Okay <sighs> No Okay, a
1: two is invective So invective is a shotgun and, and, and the reason invective is a two is A, invective isn't great B, invective, as far as we can tell anecdotally Is the only exotic you get every time you find invective an Invective has
0: forgot the meaning of the term exotic Right <laughs> Or random number generator Yeah I could build a throne out of my recycled inve- invective, But a large throne game, yeah. yeah, like a, like a semi-truck semi. A throne sized, and a palace That's right,
1: yeah a 3 this is kind of your baseline exotic this sets the stage for what it means to play with an exotic is a gallerhorn gallerhorn is a rocket launcher that broke the game but it always felt like it broke the game and then the they game. nerfed
0: it and then it was still a really good rocket launcher.
1: and it felt like it broke the game in the right way for you as opposed to the wrong way for you partially because rocket launchers aren't frequently as usable as hand cannons which is the distinction between there, a there and a
0: was a horn. point in the game where you got a galler horn and your house turned into a 1990s chicago nba bulls win right. like it, you it was just like tore shit apart kid and play you, house party yeah you fucking punched holes in the wall and you were happy they were there because they reminded you of your joy it was the beginning yes. of mrs
1: doubtfire there were fucking petting zoos in the living yeah, room but
0: now they're everywhere And mandatory almost So it's been reduced by its sort of commonality
1: In terms of great beers Beers that you're really enjoying today A four is a Zalo Supercell A Zalo Supercell Which is a wonderful little auto rifle that allows you to do some arc damage and chain damage to other enemies.
0: enemies? So for, for those of you who are not into Destiny and who need to get into it for Destiny 2 on September 8th, um, to play with us, uh, Zalo uh, is a arc primary weapon, which is a primary weapon is very rare. A very primary rare. weapon that does elemental damage. Yeah, elemental damage. Um, and that is uh, a Zalo supercell. Arc burn is by far the most common form of... Uh, All of the damage types. Adjudications of the damage types that will be doing extra damage in this specific mission. And so a Zalo Supercell is indispensable. It also recharges your super, which makes you like a badass superhero. And everybody wants every part of that. So a Zalo Supercell, that's a solid 4. It's the utility player of
1: Exotics, and you need to have one if you're going to make it through in a good group. A number 5, a gun that has changed the game for the best because... It requires some skill and accuracy to be able to effectively use. it's not a pay to win. That's right. You
0: get it, and then you need to train
1: with it. Then you got to fucking learn it. It's the Mida multi-tool. So good. It is a scout rifle, my preferred class of weapons in the first place. Indeed, mine as well. It requires some skill,
0: some movement mechanic. Your radar stays active when staring down the sights. Which is fucking incredible. But... As, as sort of like recoil, I've never felt a better rifle mm-hmm. in real life or in video games. That's right. It feels solid. you got to train with it. And here's the thing. You get killed by a Mida, you're like, touche. Yep. Like, yep. You're just like, yes. Well played, sir. You get you it. You never feel angry about it like Thorn. It's not fucking cheaty bullshit. You get killed by a Mida, it's like, mm, you headshotted me more than I headshotted you. That's Good right. Good
1: job, sir. It is, it is a mark of skill. Uh, and it is. I, I think I have to agree with you that having played a number of first-person shooters over the last twenty years of my life, I've never felt a more smooth shooting experience in a video game. If you drink a beer that changes your game today, it's a Mida multi-tool. And with that, we're on to our first beer. Onto our first segment. We'll be back just in a second. And with our first beer in the Destiny Exotic System. Caleb, what are you drinking?
0: I am drinking against the Gain. Gain, not the same thing. We drink against a lot the already. grain breweries. Cayman Noodlin', and that's spelled with a K N.
2: Common. Uh,
0: can. I guess it could be common, like common well. writer. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it could be that. That's a whole Uh thing. Kentucky common dark sour beer. Um, I'm unsure how to pronounce it because of the spelling, right? Uh, but I appreciate beer. the font is exactly the font of ramen noodles. So yeah. I imagine it is common. The packaging beer. is great. Common noodlin. and it has a man uh, sticking with a skull face, sticking skip, a uh, middle finger out to me mm-hmm. from. A pile of ramen noodles, which is the second most offensive thing I've ever seen from against the game brewery right. marketing system, because they did have a can with a man shitting his pants on it. That's right. So I'm going to try it on air. It's a dark sour ale. Dark sours have kind of been moving up the
1: list for you two lately. We had one last week from it's, Boulevard. I
0: mean, I'm getting into sours as best both worlds, and right. this is really it. This is solid Zalo for me. That's it's a, a four. Super it's That's four. A four. Um It is dark. I can taste it on the back end. It's a robust taste, something mm-hmm. I can chew on. Mm-hmm. It is sour, but not to the point where like my face is imploding, which is what you and Sarah want. That's right. You're moving <laughs> towards that. That's right. I'm not there yet. I like the sour in the light phases. Sure, yeah. And it's light for me. You like it as an accent. It's drinkable. I could mm-hmm. have a second one of mm-hmm. these. That's uh, important. This is a Zalo,
1: yeah. All right, that's good. Uh, while you drink that, we're into our standard first segment, which is dissecting our fun, our topic about board games and the like. And today, rather than reviewing a specific board game, which we'll be doing more of in the future, we're going to respond to a listener question who asks, how do I get my friends to try tabletop RPGs? So a little bit more of a conceptual approach to games today.
0: Yeah, Spencer, tell me- me how to do that right yes exactly he said inquisitively
1: (laughs) yeah so as the one at this table who's most recently been involved in tabletop rpgs and i mean that both in that i've done it recently and i've recently been involved with it for the first time um it's definitely a trick if you haven't been listening to our uh, snippets of adventure which are available to backers at three dollars and above definitely check it out it's my first real foray other than one evening's worth of a jaunt into Red Markets as a playtester for you, good sir, it's my first real attempt at tabletop RPGs. And I'm guessing that the impetus of this question from Brownie, thanks for submitting it, is that it's really fucking difficult to sell people on the idea of jumping into, frankly, and I hope not to offend anyone, kind of a weird setting, okay? Kind of a weird fucking setting. So here's the ask, right, for someone who's not been involved with it. I want you to come sit around a table with a bunch of people you either know or don't know, TBD, some of whom you may, some of whom you may not. And I want you to participate in a game which doesn't have a defined win condition or a defined storyline. And I want you to narratively involve yourself and take the risk of making decisions on the fly and acting as another person. And really enjoy that for mm, a couple of hours at a minimum, usually, given the nature of games. That's a big fucking ask.
0: We've talked about this before, the anxiety of the RPG. Here's the reason I picked your question, Brody. And it's a good question. It's because we have such a unique, like, rhetorical, conceptual space here. Because... Spencer is still nascent. He's still mm-hmm. feeling the toes in the water. I'm all in, but like compared to the majority of the RPG landscape, I'm still relatively new, right? <laughs> uh, and Ross is like died in the wool, like back in middle school doing this shit. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, I have some advice for doing it, but like it's still a work in progress. I am not entirely sure this is there's one method that gets it through, because I'm not sure if you're into it yet. I'm into it, but there are things that make me more into
1: it and less into it, and so those are the things that I've picked out for my advice on this topic.
0: Yes, so uh, my my thing would be to say is like earnestness is learned. So if you're doing something darker or more serious, and I think RPGs can do that, and I think for me that's where RPGs exceptionally shine when you're doing things that are darker, more serious. And for those of you that are aware of dark, you know, RPGs, I'm talking about my own game red markets. I'm talking about uh, Delta green. I'm talking about um, games that unknown armies, games that have some teeth and tell some really serious stories. Um, They do that remarkably well, but asking that level of earnestness, of involvedness, in a 21st century, probably millennial, millennial, well, thou, we (laughs) pre-gamed, probably millennial, is a a big ask for someone coming in cold. Yeah, absolutely it is. So, there is a level of RPGs that someone coming in cold is going to be aware of and familiar with, and that's going to be sort of the gonzo nature of your average dungeon crawl. And while that might be bore you as a player at this point, this far along in the path, you're not going this far along in the path. Right. Like, when I teach English, I don't start off with fuckner. Yeah, yeah. I go back a little bit, and I say, hey, let's just go kill some shit inside a hole in the ground, right. and steal their gold, and let's tell what story we can make of that. And there's a level of earnestness and a sort of, like, jokiness, which yeah. we can see now in, like, Harmon Quest and the various other natures that sort of inherently comment on the ironic detachment that is the RPG fantasy storytelling mechanic, right? Snippets of adventure, yeah, exact snippets of adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an element of that that sort of brings it in that gives you an idea of the fun before you right. go more earnest and start, you know, like having long discussions with another person across the table that's playing your ex-wife. Um, like, there's a level of that before you get there, yeah, for sure. And you need to acknowledge that and not someone and not dump someone
1: in the deep. Two things. One... Earlier, when you said Faulkner, it sounded like you said Fuckner, and then I started thinking about the sound and the Fury as the sound in the yeah. Fury, yeah, 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 like, and that was a wholly my next RPG. Sound and the Fury, bingo.
2: It's a storytelling game. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be 15, right. Fifteen pages. Right. That's right. Storytelling
1: game. People Hard in costumes. Books, $50. Right. Them squirrels is into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing. So, and, and this is my attempt at advice here, as the the latest to enter the fray, although not well, and certainly not at any any. Level of depth. Um, If I were you, Brownie, I would try to get a real good assessment of who among my friends is okay dealing with narrative ambiguity and who among my friends needs some pretty strict linearity. And I'm not saying that an RPG can't do both. I'm saying that maybe an RPG can't do both at the same time very well. And so if I want my, my friends who are intent to real strict linearity to get into RPGs, I would start by introducing them to a game where you have planned and kind of curated choice to them
0: such that they As really someone feel like- who's. New to I I hate to interrupt, but as someone who's new to RPGs, that's a sneaky good critical pull. Yeah. Like games can only do one thing at a time. Yeah, they absolutely can. Well. Yeah.
1: And so if I were you, I would curate choice for those people and I'd create an RPG setting where they're they're able to make choice, but it's a limited number of choices. It's all going towards the same place. The manner of their interaction then is in their character decisions and in the dice rolls. Alternatively, if you have friends who are fine, in fact, thrive, you know, this Kenneth Burke notion that in ambiguity there is opportunity. For people who tend to be more – thespians, the wrong word, but it's creative in nature, who like embracing the improv of RPGs, then I would suggest going a little bit more nuts. Whereas Caleb's talking about a setting type, one which is more dark, a little more meaty, one which is more light and a little more
0: um, jovial. Yeah, a good pull. Cater to taste. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're – You have a goal of playing a game that's, like, the best game it could possibly be, or you have a goal of, like, inuring someone to this sort of weird social space. That's right. You cannot do both at the same time. You can't. So, like, if you're getting someone new into the group, make that game – like, don't make it pressure. Right. Don't say, like, this game is about you. Well, you can, behind the screen as a GM, make that game about them, getting them into the game.
1: Figure out what's more important, setting or agency. And I think that, for me, agency was always the risk in RPGs. Mm -hmm. And so now in snippets, I mean, we, we have curated the game enough, or you have curated the game enough that, like... You know, for the most part, unless you're planning on, like, just totally murdering our ability to continue to produce these episodes, I know that there, I can take some level of risk. Yeah. And yeah. come out on the other side, because yeah. we're going to continue these campaigns. It's the nature of... It. But I also know... that, And we could
0: also start a game after this where I'm, like, up front about, like, you know what? You could die in this game. Right. Like, your character has finite abilities. That's right. So and curate the level of choice and agency. That will have more weight, because I set
1: it up front. Right. Yeah. And, and that, for me, as the newest member of the fray... Uh, It's the level of agency and choice that was frightening to me, but I'm not saying it's frightening to others. What I'm saying is get real clear on where people fall on either end of that spectrum that you want to play with and then build a game that caters to that. Adding in some setting and environmental characteristics that kind of get at their interests, but it's the level of choice that was always frightening to me. Uh, Producer Ross, anything to add to this as a a lifer?
2: Um, Yeah, they're they're basically uh, a lot of what you're going in the the RPG community, there are uh, are player types and the idea is if you want to break people into the games uh run a scenario with very concrete objectives it's yep. very like yep. a very obvious objective you know like oh you're on a boat that's you know you're on the titanic get off the titanic you right know? Uh, oh there's a time machine there but so figure out how to use the time machine that's the scenario uh don't do like how do you deal with the moral ambiguity of being like a vampire and 21st century America and you don't know what's going on and you don't know what the rules of being a vampire are, and all this other stuff that that when it when it's more concrete it's better but uh yeah players have different goals in game uh the the old joke is that there are real men you know i.e. the type of players who like combat and killing monsters and kicking down dungeon doors uh there's real role players who like dialogue and like character arcs and like defining who they are and they typically write backstories for their characters there's munchkins who want to win however possible and they want you know they master uh and sort of subset would be rules lawyers who just Mm -hmm, want mm -hmm. to understand and comprehend and master the game uh and then there's loonies uh or you know more uh who want to break it well not necessarily they want to have a good time and they want to have a joke right right. uh munchkins are more the ones who want to break it uh loonies just want to Uh, if it's okay if everyone at the table laughs and they're varying degrees. And so try to understand who these players are and try to cater to their uh, needs. Um, I typically actually, instead of doing a fantasy game, I typically use like a horror game, but using where you're a normal person, like Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu or something like that. There's less of a jump. There's less of a jump because you don't have to, the, the players don't have
0: to figure out how these he, abstract The GM's are. doing the one, the fantastical
2: thing. Well, it's very easy to conceptualize yourself as a person who's in a haunted house, right? Yeah. as opposed to being a superhero who can melt steel yeah. with their eye lasers, yep. or being an immortal elf who can cast 30 different spells mm-hmm. and has a magic sword. Or producer elf name. As yeah, it works, well, right. producer elf name, he can just talk yeah. to animals. That's though. right. That's, That's right. very easy. Just talk to Another animals.
0: Another thing I would say <laughs> is that in addition to that, if you're lucky enough to have a group that has multiple GMs, bring your A game. There's sort of a tendency, if you're sort of the in the insular bubble of like running a campaign... To like on your off night, your your untried GM to let try the new people because right. you're sort of a nerd. and You have this psychological expectation of rejection. Don't do that. Like bring your A game. Bring your most experienced GM. Yeah. Like plan harder than you plan for a regular session. Yeah. It does pay off. It it does pay off. Sure thing. Like, yeah. Don't don't ex- just expect it to happen. Don't expect them to innately go into it. No, absolutely
1: not. Look, it's difficult as someone who who's who's learning it now. Um, it's not an easy wall to break through and you've got to find patterns that are comfortable for you and settings that are comfortable for you and people that are comfortable for you. And so um, treat it with some respect. Treat those people with some respect. And I think what we've really been saying here is know your audience and figure out who's playing the game and build a game to, to, to play with them, not at them.
2: Oh, also you don't need to record it. You don't need to set up microphones and uh, right, that right. kind of thing. I yeah. know.
0: That's th- also a big hurdle to jump. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a weird one. If you want to like counterfactual dis- entire episode listen to my first game on rppr because i should have not come back
2: this i is, should have not returned this is call of cthulhu the haunting it was also aaron's rppr aaron's first game gming uh
0: also to be clear you decided to do like
2: a blood
0: in blood out <laughs> we like, were
2: essentially hazing him.
0: hazing him hmm. while it was happening it was one of the worst (laughs) gaming experiences i've ever had um so don't do that don't do
1: that nope don't do that don't treat them as um as things treat them as people roll Uh, out a red carpet that's right uh and that's the best that we can do on this one with that we're grabbing another beer grabbing another topic and we'll be back in just a minute You drinking, all right. So, fortunate enough to be drinking a beer I've had a few times now, none the least of which a couple this weekend while we were playing Lords of mm-hmm. Waterdeep. This is McKellar's Aloe Ich bin Raspberry Berliner Weiss. And it's fucking delicious. Um, it's tart, a little bit sour on the end. It's good raspberry up front. It's got a good raspberry nose to it as well. So if you're looking for a tall boy that's light to drink, but you can have a couple of them, and it's a little bit fruity, a little bit light, and gets that tartness in there, this is a solid five for me. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm, I really like this beer. Huh? It's a Mita multi-tool, and I had the non-raspberry version this weekend. It was also excellent and I hope to review it on the podcast soon as well While I drink this, Caleb, what are we talking about?
0: We're talking about And the number one pick this week Number one vote getter You guys really love this segment Comfortably number one vote getter If it's on the segment list, you will vote for it number one We need to change that Mm -hmm. Well, I'm cycling for this reason but um, uh, You like a loving read of a mistake Uh And this is our segment This was a mistake And it's something that uh, has really struck me of late It's always struck me um, it's the Lottery. Mm-hmm. Da Loteria. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate it as much as you hate s'mores. I don't doubt, th- I don't think that's true. Okay, I want to paint a picture for you You know what, before
1: you get going then, let me just say this to you as a word of advice. Good luck to the end of
0: your social media. Okay, <laughs> okay enjoy what's about to happen. <laughs> All to right, you sir. I look forward uh-huh. to that. Uh-huh. Serious so thing. We were hanging out the other night. We were. We were. Uh, we played a two-game, uh, two-man game uh Sentinels. We did. It was a solid game. Solid game. I went home. I wanted had a powerful thirst for some gummy worms and some Powerade. It's gonna happen. It just overcame me. Mm-hmm. So I I, lo- I stopped by the local come and go, which isn't a dirty joke. It's an actual uh, store. That it's exists. spelled K
1: U M. People. Okay. Yeah. So get your minds
0: out of the. Uh, it's an actual store. This here. It's our, it's our gas station. I go by. I get my Powerade. My come and go, convenience store. Give me like a minute per interaction level you expect for a convenience store. Uh, With the clerk or with other people? On a Saturday night at
1: 9.30 p.m. I expect, like, maybe a minute tops if things go
0: south. Did you say 15 minutes? No. Because that's what it was. No, I didn't. It was 15 minutes with Powerball and people buying Lotto. And you know what really extended it? Was the woman who, out of her Spanx slash yoga pants... She was not of the size that should be wearing spandex slash Yoko pants. I say that as a big man.
1: Mm. Mm. I
0: am not going to be wearing spandex anytime soon. And there is a reason. And that is a reason that has alighted her.
1: That's the backer level. That's If we could get a $15 backer level of Caleb doing nope. this show live in nope. spandex. No, nope. We're not doing many, that. How many backers would we get? No video. It's just an 15
0: audio. 15 isn't enough. <gasps> just an audio. She takes nine. Nine scratchers out of the front, Mm. the front of those Mm spanks, to the point where I'm questioning what exactly scratched those scratchers off Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and proceeds to begin a complex, sweaty, taint-soaked negotiation Mm. with our poor come-and-go attendant Mm -hmm. about what she won and what she didn't win and what the best strategies was for it. And I just despaired so hard. Of humanity, I literally put the things I was going to buy on the floor. Wow! I didn't wait to go to it, and I just, I just walked from the room. Wow! That is how deep my hatred of the lotto is. really got after it. It goes fundamental from top to back. So, is it the is it the
1: hatred of the lotto, or is it in this instance the length of the interaction about lotto, which gets you to turn your back on? Frankly, what sounded like a great night in Gummy Worms. <laughs> And some fucking drinks.
0: It was a white cherry power. It was it was great. This I is know, the best flavor. I disagree with you. Um, <laughs> Orange. So look, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. the most visceral, like vivid imagistic method I have of hating the lottery, mm-hmm. and it goes so much deeper than that. So, the lottery is essentially a tax upon the poor. Correct. Specifically, the poor that didn't understand probability, the mathematically illiterate. The best you can get in the lottery is a one in 13 million chance and that's the UK National Lottery. If you're talking about American Power Powerball, depending on who's doing the you know like calculations. You're looking at a one and two hundred and thirty-two million to a one and two hundred and thirty-nine million for the jackpot, and nothing you get in terms of partial jackpot for Powerball goes below the thirteen million of UK National Lottery. Mm-hmm. It is a tax upon our poorest citizens that is altogether entirely dependent upon the despair of them being poor. Because when you're that poor, you need a fantasy to get out of it, and that's exactly the ring they put in your nose to run a chain through and lead you through to paying endless amounts of money over the course of years on a chance to win that is negligible, To the point as to being ridiculous. Irresponsible. It is a tax on the poor that I find utterly loathsome. So I'm going to offer, despite my
1: better instincts, for a half a moment, a slightly more charitable reading of the lottery. All right, go ahead and do that. As someone, and this is an important caveat, who has disposable income. So it avoids much of the concern, nay, criticism that you have of the lottery, and I recognize and agree with the bulk of what you've just said, including and up to the fact that I don't want to stand behind people as they have interactions about the nature of their lottery play, ever, in any setting, okay? Having said that, I'm someone with disposable income, and I recognize that is a certain level of privilege. I own that. It is Mm -hmm. what it is. That's Mm -hmm. my position, all right? Um... I enjoy on occasion, not with any frequency or consistency, but on occasion, I enjoy playing the lottery. I think it's fun uh, to buy some scratchers here and there when the Powerball gets really big to put in a dollar, or sometimes even $10 if I'm really feeling like pissing away $10, which I was going to do anyways on probably a beer or four that I didn't need, depending on where I was. I kind of enjoy the nature of, well, this is fun. Um, I know it's not going anywhere, but I I suppose given the nature of disposable income, let's just jump into the fray and have fun with it. And so I occasionally buy a lottery ticket. I'm going to be honest. And I admit that to you knowing now that it probably accrues some level of judgment that I can't wash away from you. But I own that.
0: It It is a fun experience for me. So here's the thing. Uh, Marxist Caleb. We right. talked about it before. Drink. We'll talk about it again. Right. Drink. Um, vodka, obviously, is uh, what yeah. people drink do, for do, Marxist Caleb, do, do, right? Do, do, but like some real do, do, Russian do. shit. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Like nothing that tastes good, but the the label, you don't actually You're know what it's called. On. You're just like, <laughs> oh, well, look at that. Um, it appears to be Russian and clear liquid. It's <laughs> definitely Cyrillic. Right. Glug. This was made from potatoes. Um,
0: yeah. So here's the thing you are what those people. Mm hmm. Are shooting for right? No, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what fuck makes the folks so fucking sick to me. Yeah, and here's here's the other level. The other level that most of y'all don't even fucking get. Oh, I recognize that as a public educator. Almost the entirety of my budget is funded by the people yeah. that have failed. Very basic math Yeah, the state of Missouri is all about that lotto funding And and yeah, that's the state of Missouri And many other states right. is all about that lotto funding It's all about that casino money Which is also principled on the idea That you don't know blackjack is the best chance well, Casino should just be blackjack And then Probably not even no, that. No, 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 I mean, there's like a different read on casinos here. Slots? No, but like... You understand probability and you're playing slots? There are like, other card games, Right, they, they have introduced poker
1: rooms where people are playing meaningful, reasonably thought-out games of Texas Hold'em I'll, I'll and the give like. You the, I'll
0: give you that much, but... Where the
1: casino is taking some of, yeah, that pot. Yeah, you know, the casino's still winning. Right, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of, it's a volume play at that point, right? It's ultimately a math tax. Yeah. It is, but, but that isn't to say that there aren't
0: more probable iterations of that math text so that people can play. This in. was a mistake. Here's the other thing. Right. The majority of states in this country have gambled almost the entirety of their public education budget on the failure of public education. Right. No, I I mean, I agree there's some The number of kids that we fucking fail in very basic probabilistic math that you need to just, like, get through the world. Yeah. Like, the ability to compound anything that would let you understand whether you have a chance of winning the lottery enough is, in fact, almost the entirety of the school public budget to the point that it's just mind-numbingly... Stupid and like that's the thing you've undervalued education, you've essentially gambled education on the stupidity of the masses, which is like some fucked up Illuminati crazy top down bullshit. I can't even approach into it, and then and then. It's just this like rebuke in the face of it to where, like, I will not play the lotto on fucking principle. I could win the lotto with like 40 fucking million because I have relatives that give me fucking tickets everywhere. And it would be the shame that haunts my rich ass into the fucking grave because I will never buy a ticket willingly. Spoken like a true communist. And, mm-hmm. that, and that's the Only fu- a communist would look, would look rich in the face and go, fuck you. No, mm-hmm. I would look mm-hmm. rich in the face, mm-hmm. take it, and mm-hmm. say, fuck me because mm-hmm. that's a true communist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. So yeah. uh-huh. look, that's the thing. It would be fucking brutal if that ever happened to me, and it never will, because probabilistically it's nigh impossible, and I'm more likely to be struck by fucking lightning on a unicycle on a power line on New Year's Day.
2: Um while also being hit by media.
0: Yeah, no shit. And it's just fucking ridiculous. And I hate it. I hate it every I hate every spectrum of it.
1: Yeah, so like I said, I kind of like it. Uh, it's 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 enjoyable to me. I understand all of the idealistic, moralistic, principled reasons that I
0: shouldn't like it. There is no better signifier of class warfare than giving someone lotto tickets for their Christmas present.
1: Well, I agree. I mean, that's, that, that is that and of itself. That is kind of Right, yeah, <laughs> trash,
0: you know. Uh, but but it's a game. Here, I wasted some money for you.
1: Right. I, I'm also, and here's the thing.
0: I've been given lotto tickets for a Christmas present and won $1,000 off of it. Do you know what it takes for me to say that? Like the matter of like fucking cognitive dissonance of like that sort of like it's so ungracious to say, fuck you for giving me a thousand dollars winning lotto ticket for saying you didn't know that was a thousand dollars. And it was supporting an insane gambling structure that taxed the ignorance of the masses and kept them enslaved. I still can't resolve it. It's been years ago. For for me, it is,
1: it's, uh, I'm willing to pay for hope, whatever that is. Uh, maybe it's called the
2: Affordable Care Act, but um, Ching, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it is a vice. It is comparable to drinking or uh, recreational drugs. To
1: use. be fair, we do not have a lottery-based podcast, so I don't know that it's comparable
2: to drinking. No, you Ross, just but said it. It's like instead of like uh, a drug that makes you feel better, it's uh, an activity uh, I that think gives I said you a hope. Drug that makes you feel better. I was
0: like, no, it's, it's, it's hope. But I'm willing. No, I was to was about if alcohol. You, if right. you want this podcast yes. to fucking continue, right, yeah, and your pay there why to continue do not relate drinking a few beers right. to the lotto because right. it will not end well for any of us.
1: You know what and on that note this was a mistake. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> grab some more beers. We're gonna find another topic and we'll be back on the other side. Now that you're you're a little calmer,
0: all right, what are we talking about? Actually, what are we drinking? We are drinking a 2011 BC India-style brown ale. And wait, I'm not done. No, you're not. Because this is a four-part collaboration between Civil Life, Perennial Artisan Ales, Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, and Forehand's. All St. Louis, Missouri based breweries three, one, into a single bottle that is urban chestnut tall. So yep. I'm going to do my best, but still water roll. Haven't drank try, it. Yet. Try
1: it on air. Um, it is a massive bottle. Uh, and Caleb's going in. He's got a face. He's nodding, kind of like. It's a horn. Oh, it's a three. Yeah, I can I use that.
0: I'm not sad I got one. Right. right. It's a little redundant at this point, but sure. it's good. Yeah, I'll okay. drink another one of those. All right, good That's for you. Three.
1: I'm going to try that while we talk about Ready Player Drunk, which is, of course, our video game segment, which we probably don't do enough of. If I'm being totally honest, just I'm here. Here I am. you are a monogamist
0: in the I video game. I am a aspect.
1: serial monogamist yeah. in the video game aspect. You, it's destiny or nothing. For it, you. Well, actually, according to this segment, it's destiny and two others. Yes. So, yeah. Maddie Gibbons. Who's quickly become one of our better listeners, really and truly, highly interactive with us, says all of the right things. She tore through the ranks like a blue shell, so she to speak. Did. We
2: have, yeah, we do rank our listeners, and you are being graded by she how well you listen,
1: moving up the letter board. And it's uh, a secret grade, but Maddie's probably, <laughs> yeah, 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 a couple gold stars is what yeah. I'd say. Um, anyways, Maddie, who is also, I mean, it feels like the right time to announce this, even it though is. it's totally unceremonious. Who is also the winner of our Mixed Six video contest? We had a couple of really excellent submissions.
0: Yes. And, and thank, thank you, you very much for all of you who it submitted. It was so
1: cool. A couple of you submitted these really great things. We know you To spent, be
0: clear, I'll be refunding you a month's worth of Patreons just for being kind enough to draw that out. Absolutely. But Maddie gets a whole year. Right. Man, that was a killer entry. Absolutely crushed it. Uh, if all of them were
1: nines or tens, Maddie's was a half point above. And so we thank you, all of you, for participating. It was super cool. At this
0: point, we we're... We're getting more than you, yeah. More, more from you than you are getting from us. Absolutely true. Right,
1: and we're super excited to have our first YouTube thing to be able to put into the world to hopefully bring more people into the Mix Six orbit. And thank you so much for that. We're super, super excited. Anyways, Maddie was kind enough to suggest a topic that Caleb and I talk around all of the time. In fact, it was a subtopic of a drinking alone I wrote some months ago. Mm -hmm. If you could only play three video games for the rest of your life, what would they be? And so I have taken it upon myself. I don't know. Go ahead, Producer Ross. Question.
2: uh, Are mods allowed? No. No. no, base game only. Yeah, we're game. on a wow. fucking desert island. Where yeah, going to get what internet? What if you had it? if up? you have a game, why not have a thing of mods? With I it
1: I don't want to be an authoritarian, but no, because I said so. Okay. It just feels dirty. <laughs> I, I that would affect <laughs> right. what choices. People okay, so make. first off, the reason actually, you know what? Wait, I'm about to get principled, motherfuckers, <laughs> because when we did the first ever jukebox in the back, and I said albums on a desert island, and I told you guys that greatest hits were allowed, you two through a fucking fit, and so of course, mods. On her, loud, you greatest hits asking son of a bitch. All right, it is base game and base game only. Well, back official the, DLC is okay. Back to the topic at hand. It Game is okay. of the Year edition? Okay, yes.
0: fuck you, Bethesda. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sit
2: back, Producer Ross. Right. <laughs> Todd Howard will have words about this. <laughs>
0: While I ride on my
1: principled horse, Caleb, I have taken the liberty of ranking these third, second, and first. I don't know if that's the method that you used or if they were instead just the three games that existed in a category.
0: I don't think I ranked them. Okay, I'm going to let you start, though. Uh, so I will go ahead and say uh, Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming I'm on this desert island, and I have not forgotten 3. Otherwise, Mass Effect 2 would be my number one game in a world where 3 never existed, and yep. that was just a standalone product, and we ended it there. And I accepted its failure as closing the narrative as like a, a, a sad result of capitalism, and not Mass Effect 3 as a sad result of capitalism perverting everything I love. Um, Mass Effect 2. Communist Caleb. I well yeah we've established Drink. a fucking theme. Yeah. Um, I accept Mass Effect Two as like as a person that's a narrativist that is entirely into RPGs for narrative and like branching choice paths yeah. as like the perfect game for right. me. The consequences are so clear and yet so surprising. There are so many different ways you can go with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have played Mass Effect 2 no less than four times Uh with different characters just to see how different branch – I've even done a genocide run where everyone died Mm -hmm. in the suicide mission. And um, I'm endlessly intrigued by it. And I'm sure if I'm trapped on a desert island with no other video games except these three, I'm going to play Mass Effect 2 again.
1: So yeah. I'm so excited that you've introduced narrative as a defining condition of this question mm-hmm. in into the conversation. Because on the other end of that spectrum, yours have none that that of. I've that. chosen, yeah. which is Destiny, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> saw narratives and took a, a Mita multi-tool, or maybe in this case, a thorn to it, and said, "Nah, we don't really want any of that." Um, we spent a lot of time talking about the virtues and the vices of Destiny. Here's what I'll say. I'm 31. I've had the game for like three years, it feels like now, maybe even a little bit longer. I'm not totally sure. And yet here we were only hours ago looking for things to do and said, let's hop on Destiny for a little bit. And at some point, the matter of replayability matters to me.
0: I, I feel like in many places, your Desert Island games are like more practical. I'm like, man, I'm going to really mistake. And right. you're just like, I hope I have some MREs. That, that, on the island. No, that's such... like. Yeah. I hope I have gameplay distilled to its basest nutritional form. That's like, exactly what it is. I would prefer gruel. If, like, if I'm on
1: a desert island, I need to pass time. And so for me, a Skinner box is more valuable than a Rube Goldberg device. <laughs> you know enough. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, and what's second for you?
0: For me, it is probably second. Uh, is going to be Batman Arkham City. Such a good choice. Uh, Arkham Asylum is fucking great. I could play almost any Arkham game. With maybe the exception of Knight. But Knight's not bad. The tank things, though, are awful. It's not good. But, but Arkham City it, is yeah. the pinnacle of the Arkham Asylum for They totally take the right. Arkham Asylum 4, which I replayed at least three or four times. Yeah, And with Shara, it's just like replaying three or four times. Like, yeah, She's she's into games, but only when they are like pinnacle games. And when she can find a good video game, she will play it front to back over and over again. And uh, Arkham City is one of those games that I can just play fucking for. Ever all of those challenge missions, yes, stealth. Like I will, I will just like get completionist obsessed with doing them perfectly, right? Not, and I love the story. I never get tired of it. I love it. There are some games
1: which have understood that sometimes the the real meat of a superhero for video game simulation is. Just being able to freely explore the city as a superhero. So I'm thinking of PlayStation 2's Spider-Man games mm-hmm. where you just got to fucking web around New York City. The 2017 Spider-Man announcement on un- E3 fucking believable. looks fucking unfucking fucking believable yeah. It looks amazing. The Arkham games in particular have understood that, look, there are a lot of things you want to do as Batman. And they aren't just button mashing, but they're tactical planning-based strikes on groups of teams. They're, they're detective-oriented mysteries, but also sometimes... It gets every part of the character You right. just want to fucking jump off of a
0: building and swoop down... And rhythm game. Right. Beat the fuck out of some people. And then grappling hook up and do it again. In Arkham Asylum, the moment I realized that when I walked down towards the final fight with the Joker, all those fucking convicts clapping at you in this, like, sick, like, straight-out-of-the-comics Arkham Asylum moment you can fight them yeah, and then technically if you're good enough you can beat them all and you just like continue through the game right? nothing about the narrative changed but having broken the arms and legs and like spines and pelvises of 40 fucking convicts with shivs that were in this hallway yeah my mind was officially blown. It was it was the best
1: way to take Chris Nolan Batman, mm-hmm. which is the probably the best Batman we've seen uh cinematically. From from, from start to certain. finish cinematically, yeah. Yeah, 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 And put it into a video game that made it felt like you were also adding a level of excitement and energy. So mm-hmm. anyway, second on my list, um, this is an oldie buddy goodie. I think we've talked about it here and there, and I know that some of the listeners still play this game. And I'm pretty, starting to
0: get it. Yeah
1: diablo 2 not diablo 3 but diablo 2 and to producer ross's point with paid dlc the lord of Destruction, lord of lord of destruction expansion is some of the best fucking shit i've ever played it was the first game where i locked myself in my room for well i won't get into dates but something like <laughs> three months and was totally happy hunched over a pc Doing Mephisto runs over and over and over again because I wanted to see the minuscule but seemingly significant upgrades in gear. It was also the first game that gave me a sense of depth, because of the bulk of my early video game childhood is on console games, and a lot of the early NES and SNES games don't have a lot of depth. They just have platform run this way. Yeah. Uh, Diablo gave me a sense of depth and of scale that was important in difficulty, uh, and so Diablo 2 for me is unfucking touchable. I mean, I think it's one of the two or three best games I've ever played, which is why it's on this list. So what's number one for you?
0: So for me, if I'm on the desert island, I'm probably going to need to live in memory a bit. Mm -hmm. And the first game to consume me entirely was uh, Final Fantasy VII. Mm -hmm. So I came from a a household that paradoxically was not very keen on religion, but also very certain video games were from the actual Christian devil. Um, And so I was very limited in what I could play until the PS1 and the final fantasy 7 games were the game that proved my mother right cuz i was so deeply into that story so deeply into playing it that i like forgo meals Stop talking to yep. anyone. Yep. It consumed me entirely. So you're talking about like I need some replayability factor. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna get at least sixty hours of Final Fantasy Seven if I'm gonna beat it because I need the Knights of the Round materia. Um, and like I'm one of the guys, and I hate this because I know I'm a fucking shill for like the utterly shitty consumerist practice mm-hmm. of the game industry. When Final Fantasy Seven Remaster comes out, I am there day fucking. One, mm-hmm. son, I am camped out at midnight in front of a GameStop buying that shit. Sure. I want to be Cloud Strife riding on a Chocobo for life. Like uh, so, it probably seven. That, I am that was so my out experience. of the
1: Final Fantasy loop that everything that you just said, I just assumed that you were that drunk. Is how I felt about your orientation to words here for a moment. And, and that was
0: seven. I was complete. I'd never played a Final Fantasy game before.
2: So seven. you've never been on the Final Fantasy train. Zero Final Fantasy, and I
0: wasn't on till seven. Yeah. Right, and I got off at like. Eight nine. Okay, yeah. I played ten later. I wasn't happy about it. No, yeah. I actually liked eight quite a bit, and we no, will go I, into You're that. similar to me.
2: I I did play Final Fantasy one and two, but that then seven, and that's it. So.
0: Yeah, I didn't have a Nintendo. Yeah. my first my first uh, console was a Genesis. Nice, and then I had like two games for it, and then I really got into PS One. So,
1: so number one on my list, and I did rank these in order. This being probably the greatest of the three, although I would I would withstand arguments for any of the above. Super, Mor- Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo.
0: Um, it is the f- I don't have the I don't have the cajones right. to play a Super Mario game on a desert island because I'm so bad at them.
1: It is for me. It is the first of all of the media options. It is the first thing that I remember consuming me, and to this day at 31. There are days where I sit down with nothing to do, and I go, "Yeah, I'm going to play some Super Mario." And that's Mario the only World. thing you can play. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to play some Super Mario World right now because that scratches a very specific itch in a way that I can't explain. Um, it is infinitely fascinating. It is the best of the side scrollers ever. It introduces into what is already a great Mario universe really wonderful and novel mechanics. And for me, no game has done simple better than Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo. It is probably the greatest game I've ever played. And I stand by that.
0: I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. Uh, uh, I want to say to Maddie, thank you for this question.
2: What? I and thank
0: you for the fantastic video. And let's hear what Producer Ross has to say
2: about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so really quickly, uh, I think number three would, for me would probably be either xcom one or xcom two uh Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i kind of want to see what the deal there's gonna there's more dlc out there's coming out for xcom two but if you want a game with replayability you know you want the game no xcom's
0: great and i didn't i didn't know what it was a thing before you because
2: i wasn't a pc gamer but it's pretty solid yeah no so the the i'm talking about the 2012 uh the 2015 versions not the early 90 ones which are also good but insanely hard and broken uh Number two, actually, for me, would be Fallout 4 because – not because it's my favorite game ever, but because if I'm on a desert island, I want, again, a a toy to play with forever. Right. Settlement building alone is going – especially with all the DLC. Sure. uh, Have – deathclaws fight villagers for <laughs> hundreds of my hours. fucking
0: ending glitched yeah. fallout 4
2: and i will never forgive you yeah you no. lost so many points on that yep fair uh and then of course caleb knows what my number one is going to be uh but if yours is if you put destiny in your list then i'm putting payday too i my was waiting list. for it yep. yeah yeah uh because yep. if that's a game i can have that's my skinner box so right <laughs> yep and now that we
1: all like you less um for having chosen that we're going to get more beer we're moving on to another segment thanks so much Matt.
0: Spencer, what are you drinking? So I'm going to butcher this name. Maybe purposefully. I don't know. One of many. Somebody should do a supercut of us butchering names of beers.
1: It's a Pechmel Scaldis. It's also 8.5%, and I just realized that. Holy fucking shit. It's a Belgian ale with peach juice. Now, here's the thing. I had no idea how to say this, and clearly still don't, because you just heard me, you know, white person my way through it. Yeah. All right? But I asked Siri on my MacBook, and here's what Siri said back to me. How do I pronounce perchy male scored this? Okay? So Siri, way more off-base than I was, which means I got it mostly right. Also, my Siri is in a nice British accent, so she sounded both Alabama hick and British at the exact same time. Anyways, her. Stillwater rule, I'm going to try live on the air. I've never had this thing. I'm also, I'm also scared of it at 8.5%. <laughs> Yeah, I don't love that. Um, That, and I mean this in the kindest way, that has the distinct flavor of a shot that you order at Buffalo Wild Wings, okay? (laughs) Like, hey, bartender, give me a shot. And then... How? Could you explain to me the nicest way? Okay. How I would take that? You just have a sip of that. Um, And you tell me that that is not the cheapest of cheap shot options Ugh, at a oh, God, trash no. bar. Uh, yeah, so now that we all agree it's great. It's right in the fucking oh. uvula. Okay, and so oh, producer God. Ross, mm. who really likes Payday 2, doesn't want to
0: drink this. Oh, I, I can't put that at an effective. I no. don't know about you. No, that is... <laughs> Like Thorn's persistent lingering damage, that has a lingering damage in my throat. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Hey-oh.
1: Hey-oh. And on that pun, yeah, no, this is a one. It (laughs) it has both the distinct displeasure of being cough (laughs) medicine-like
0: and cheap. Not great bar shop. you have had a rough couple of episodes, and I just want to apologize. I'm not like you planned the beers. Like well,
1: drink you bought
0: this thing. All right, I I'm bought saying. this thing. fair. Yeah. but I great. chose it out of the fridge. Yeah. Anyways, what are we talking about? So Copernicus asks in our segment, "Com Corner," your number two pick for this week, Thanks which makes me much. feel super awesome. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so Copernicus asks a lengthy question, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of weight to it. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Layers. Is the capacity to produce content others enjoy – films, books, TV shows, comics, etc. – a result of possessing some supreme, great person of history, good taste, getting lucky, or having tastes that align with those of a majority? Is it purely a capitalist capacity, being able to produce something demanded by the largest amount of others? Does the artist manufacture demand? How does all of this collide with the death of the author – Man, right. you've touched a lot, Copernicus. Really I don't think we're going to even approach a fourth of really
1: leaving it on an easy Yes, note. no, yes. All right, next question. <laughs> yeah, right, right, And that was this segment. Thank you, Copernicus. <laughs> so this one's like super tough for me, and I'm probably not the right person to start this conversation because as I have exclaimed on a number of occasions, both on this show and not on this show, I don't fucking know. Um, it baffles me that people are to this day interested in the inane conversations that we have sometimes. But I often forget that other people also have these uh, these conversations, and maybe they're not that inane at all. Maybe they're just normal.
0: And many people are having these conversations with a degree of success that makes ours look pitiful. Childish, like, even. Yeah. Which makes
1: ours look like a Peshmel scaldi <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. So I don't know that I'm the best to answer this question. You two, on the other hand, have produced a, by, by, by all accounts, ridiculous amount of content. That's a content. good
0: pun. Yes. Your special teams deserve some Thank sort you. of reward. Thank
1: you. All right. Uh, a ridiculous amount of content. So the two of you, uh, successful content nonetheless, which I think is kind of the, the asterisk there. Hey-o. Uh, I think that this is probably a better ask for the two of you while I sit here and try to choke
2: down <laughs> this vomit bottle. <laughs> I bet that was well, it against the grain. That's their next uh, vomit bottle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. they're gonna
0: actually depict that on right. the fucking can. Yeah, considering <laughs> the brown note. Um, so look, I might be able to say historically, there was at some point some great man of history, which I still doubt entirely as a historical framework. And definitely as a framework of content, but at bare minimum of, like, I have the most widely applicable taste, so I am sor- sort of successful enough to sort of enter canon. I don't think in the Internet age that matters at fucking all, because I think if there's any audience at all, you can find a sustainable audience for something. Yeah. Like, look at the Venn diagram of this podcast, which is, like, 18 different circles. And like a, li- a little sli- like we're doing pretty well for like a little slice of people who are into tabletop gaming, beer, sports, pop nerd shit, pop culture, music, random Angriness about the lottery. <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a <laughs> intense n- angry. It is a narrow slice of the demographic. Right. People who saying. ate toasted marshmallows. And I and I at this point, While I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to be more successful because obviously I would. Um, I'm a human, and I desire more, and I'm on the hedonic treadmill like everybody else. I can't be sad about the success we've reached on this podcast alone, and goddamn, it's a specific slice of pie. Like, so, I don't think in the post-internet web 2.0, however you fucking say it, the horde of great man of history, or I am the principal idea of, uh... What we should be, you know, talking about, or a tastemaker doesn't really work.
2: Well, I mean, the thing is, there, there's a there's a fracturing of culture. I mean, if you go back to say, you know, the 1950s, everyone from the common working man to the executive watched the same three TV channels and listened to the same three radio stations. Um, And now you don't have that. You have a thousand different subcultures uh, in in Western civilization alone. Not not to mention, you know, other, you know, what's going on in Asia or India and uh, within those uh, sub fractures so you like you know there are people whose claim to fame is being a big name fan for a fandom like that they that they're just really important fan fiction writers of a TV show uh, or that they create fan art or something like that and then they have influence and in or that they can get income from it um, you know the second part of the question I think is the easiest one to answer uh, the one about does art have to require capitalism clearly not because art existed way before capitalism so um that that that's obvious but
0: um i will say that like does the artist manufacture demand i will say yes at some point you need to create the audience yeah, you want yeah for sure to a degree but yeah. in terms of that process is so slow that if you're not already tapping into something that already exists right you're not going to get there I also wanna- like the the creating the sort of demand for whatever art you're putting out mm. assuming this is art which is a reach i'm not willing to make right. um uh this is uh something that can be done and has been done But it is at a rate that's so slow that unless you have the sort of the initial investment of being in a majority capitalistically, it's probably not going to make it. Unless you go for like outsider art completely balls to the wall insanity where you get discovered as a painter when you're 50 or make your first movie when you're 45 and covered in burn scars like Tommy Wiseau or, (laughs) um, yeah, whatever you want. So,
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think there is there is a bit of that. I think you can't artists cannot wholly manufacture desire. I think they can act as I guess you'd call a force multiplier and intensify desire. Uh, but if we've seen many attempts of you know, especially even large corporations trying to manufacture desire for something that doesn't even exist. I mean, you know that you see this everything from art to products. You know, like Crystal Pepsi. There was not a demand, right. and they could not whole new Coke. Or uh, how many every movie that fails, you know that the you know the mummy like that obviously uh, Tom Cruise's thing uh, did that know. come out already? Yeah, yeah, it came out. It's and
1: already failed, and that should show you that it's already failed.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> domestically,
2: uh, domestically it failed. It's doing well overseas, but because it's, of course, it but, is. but well. Uh But, because of its budget it 's probably not going to get its money back right. like um I think there 's also
0: globalization i can 't wait for China and us to no. get on the same fucking page cinematically because that 's going to be a great history of art, like when we give a shit about the same stuff and they 're not like no. trying to feed us the great wall and we 're not trying to feed them to love the great wall. I love the great wall for all the wrong reasons. I think
1: there's also like a really significant um, fine line here too, between manufacturing demand and being intentional about finding audiences that will like you. So like for me, there was a clear line in this show where I was pretty passive passive in our approach to marketing. And it was like, well, I feel like we're doing something kind of interesting and kind of fun and people seem to like it. And so other people will naturally flock to the promised land of the mixed six. But the reality is in a world literally infested with stuff like this, I include us in that metaphor in some ways. Um, y- you have to make headway for yourself. And so you can call that manufacturing demand. Sometimes the way that I think about it in the morning when I wake up to tweet yeah, for little, us, it's a little Chomsky y for me. Yeah, yeah exactly. My taste. Right. I-, I tend to think about it about cultivating intentionality or maximizing intentionality. You have to go find people who would like your stuff and then show them that your stuff exists because I don't believe that consumers in a world of in, in, in limitless choices, will naturally find your shit, even though it's immediately in line with what they're doing. I mean, fuck, I stumbled across my brother and my brother and me for the first time a few weeks ago in Colorado because Joel forced it down my throat. And here I am listening to they're the watching they're the biggest this thing, thing on
0: earth. They're the biggest right thing now. on earth.
1: But I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts, yeah. right? And I don't go looking for people to make me laugh because I'm pretty satisfied in that category. I hang out with funny people generally. Um, and, and I run a fucking podcast <laughs> that's in the comedy division on iTunes. You know what I mean? Um, but, but someone had to show it to me. And then I thought, oh well, this is fucking brilliant. What that—that that is not to say that I'm fucking uh, a fucking snob. It is to say that even the people who are obviously in your wheelhouse don't know sometimes that they're in your wheelhouse. So it's not manufacturing demand, which feels a little too communist, Caleb, for me. Yeah,
0: I had a four-year uh, marketing plan for Red Markets, and I ran a Kickstarter Red Market summer last year, and uh, people are still saying like, I totally missed the Kickstarter, and I'm very glad they're interested in the book. And I very much want to sell them a book, but there's always part of me is like where were you? Right. It's, <laughs> right. it's all I talked about for five years. Yeah. Like, before I even launched it, like, I cannot think of a more inclusive, entirety, marketplace. Like Comprehensive. I, I should have worn shirts right. that had, like, I could have, like, painted my car with it. Like, and at the same time, like, yeah, and that's just the way of the world. Like, you have to work on that, and you're right. never done with that work. As know? for the
1: what I think is the, the most difficult of the sub-questions to answer Copernicus, if I am being honest, certainly within the, the realm of time that we typically give these segments, how does this all collide with the death of the author? Let me say this. On any given day after I record an episode of The Mix Six, I am both elated at the idea that after my death, some people will talk about what I've said the previous night, and also fucking frightened at the <laughs> idea that some people will talk about and interpret what I have said the previous night. So I don't have a good answer for
2: you, but to say, yes, it does collide with the death <laughs> of the author. Anybody else got a quick one there? Um, I mean, it's interesting, especially when you come into, like, a, a fandom interpretations of... Uh, what you consider, you know, uh, the, the text, what you interpret, what you mean. You, you know, sometimes you can interpret, like, you, you, f- what I've learned from RPPR is you, you can never entirely anticipate what people are going to react sure. to the most. Uh, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, for example, you, you mentioned the McElroys brothers. They recently did a, a, a YouTube series uh, called Carboys. Uh, that had this crazy indeed. Well, that was Nick and Griffin. Yeah. yeah, Nick and Griffin. Yeah, it was one of the McElroy yeah. brothers and somebody else. And. Uh, now there's like videos trying to explain the theory behind the ending of Carboys. What right. does it mean? Right. And there's you know fan videos that are you know uh, animated. And it, it turns into this entire thing. To be clear,
0: I've watched all of them and intrinsically am involved. in everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If you have theories, let me know in the yeah. comments because I would talk to you about that.
1: All, all of that. All of that to say that I don't know. And Caleb, correct me if I'm wrong. Before we move into another beer, I, I don't know that any of us sitting around this table are so intimately invested in. How we are specifically interpreted beyond ourselves. That we would be willing to not get on a microphone and say some shit drunkenly.
0: Uh, I think time if you were, were willing again. to answer this question definitively, you would not be qualified to answer this question definitively. I think that's fair because I think if you're going to successfully navigate this sort of area, you need to keep your fucking skates on, yeah, and be prepared to be judged on multiple metrics of this question for sure. Yeah, and uh, I think if at any point you're just like, no, I I got to fucking fucking figure it out, you right. become like a fucking boomer talking about millennials. Killing. Yeah, for sure. I mean,
1: you know, S- you know. Soft. As, as a, With your avocado as, toast. Yeah. As, as, a, as a relevant anecdote, and then, and then, you know, we're moving on, I guess. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, rightly or wrongly proposed a Sean Spicer rating system, episode 15, I believe, which we called Spicy Flubs. We got some not so positive feedback on that because some people thought that perhaps by naming a five, Sean Spicer inappropriately talking about the Holocaust, I was in some weird it way. It was the flubbiest flub. It was the flubbiest flub in some weird way supporting the Holocaust as some like positive attribution of a really quality beer. Maybe that was me, you know, not explaining
0: myself. Maybe that the was concept of inverse inverse proportionality right. is difficult for some people.
1: And, and so, but, <laughs> but here, here, here's what I'm saying. I understand that the death of op- the author means that I don't get to come back and say, no, 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 what I meant was. And I'm okay with that because that's that makes me have to be a better interpreter and explainer and articulator of my things on the front end. And that's the fun of this whole conceit because as we get drunker, it's much harder to do that. And
0: so – Yeah, and at least we did that in a podcast that we can then do another podcast right afterwards in the years of mechanical reproduction. And right. we didn't like handwrite that shit out on a Gutenberg fucking Bible press right. and have to live with that for the rest of our goddamn
1: right. lives. So all, yeah. of the, all of this to say two things One, I'm sorry for the rating system okay. And two, uh, this is something that we've just owned Recognizing that it is both inevitable and kind of fun Given what it is we are trying to do
0: Ultimately our answer won't matter It's yours that matters That's right In the aggregate That's so right More beer With that, I'm going to drink more More beer, more topics We'll be back in just a minute What are you drinking? I am drinking a Dogfish Head Midas Touch Ancient Ale, and
2: I've not tried it yet, so I'm going to give it a shot. I think, actually, RPVR Sean brought that over one night. Uh-oh.
1: We were really excited that Dogf- Dogfish Head is here, by the way. Oh, your face is not not happy. Nope. It's getting worse. Now it kind of looks like vomiting, is
0: what that face is. It's a it's an invective. It's a two? Oh, okay. Well, I, was- I mean, I'd be mean if it was a one. I can probably finish it. Like, I can decrypt an invective and infuse it into some other weapon that that's I like right. better in Destiny, but I'm not happy about getting it. Yeah. Um, it's a little. F- I think there's a theme developing. It's a little hard on the back end and the aftertaste. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it does kind of taste like there's some gold in it, mm. which is not a positive what on the palate. Oh, no, you don't want that? Okay. Um, minerals on the palate, typically not. Especially heavy metal. Sure. Not something you want. It's fair. It's fine. On your tongue. Gold doesn't rust.
2: It's fine. All right.
1: Well, that's a solid two. It's a Um, solid two. While you drink that, let me talk about what we're like 17 or 18 episodes into this shit. I don't even know anymore. 18, but go. Keep going. We'll be introducing right now our first new segment in a long fucking time.
0: Oh, new segment sound effect. Mm-hmm. Producer mm-hmm. Ross no, he's not going to put it He's around, doing it no. with his mouth now. That's that's an improvement. That we
1: have to is take a- that. Sound effect. <laughs> um <laughs> I have been wanting to do this segment Maybe for
0: a while. Maybe by the now. end of this, he's going to be like the guy from Police Academy. He's going to be doing all this Oh, That'd, of be, great. Yeah. No, that'd be great. I'll get
2: right on that. <laughs> I have been wanting I'll take nine classes. <laughs> to do
1: a new segment, this new segment in particular, for a while now, but I could never come up with a good conceit for it. And then, in an episode we recently launched, people were overwhelmingly positive about our response to the Great British Baking Show, which set the stage. So the new segment is. Mixed Six Mock Draft.
0: Hashtag MSMD. All right, it's 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 sort of where nerds planner and sports planner come together. And That's right, a baby. <laughs> That's right. So one a of my f- little mix six, baby. One of my
1: favorite things about sports is the draft. Right, so the NBA draft is happening right now, contemporaneously with this episode, or pretty close to the NFL draft is one of my favorite nights of the year, and then fantasy football drafts. I gear up weeks in advance for. So the idea here is that you and I will draft competing teams to participate in any given number. Of premises, and so what I was looking for is what's the premise today, and what is the pool of characters from which we have to draw to compete? All right, so I think you've picked winners on both fronts. I do think this is wonderful, if I may say so. Okay, so here we are. Here's the conceit: drafting only characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I will extend to include the Netflix Netflix Universe if I need to. Okay, drafting only characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You and I are both building competing teams of four superheroes to participate in a special episode of The Great British Baking Show. All right? Now, mm-hmm. as is true with mo- with most draft, we're going to start with a random roll of the die. Now, as I continue to hopefully win this segment over and over and <laughs> over again, I will allow you to draft earlier or vice versa if you continue to pummel me and only time and the, oh. and the listeners will tell. But we're gonna roll hashtag Team Caleb. A- we're gonna roll absolutely not. I swear to fucking God, you people who have punished me for this s'mores shit. Um, uh, you know what? Just to generate some goodwill, I'll be hashtag Team S'mores. How about that? Okay, uh, we're gonna roll a
2: die. To so you see- become the thing you hate.
1: That's right. That's, That's a very right. superhero trope. In order to win, yeah. I'll do what I got to do. You're like Tony Stark. Some Frank Miller Batman shit. All right. <laughs> Uh, we're going to roll a die to determine who gets to go first Now here's the rule After someone's taken off of the proverbial draft board They cannot be taken by another team So it is competing for space So mm. I'm going to roll first I've got myself a hard 5 Mathematically speaking I'm in not great shape And Caleb, yes. motherfucker That's an 8 Caleb rolled an 8 Alright Caleb, you get first pick Remember Vision. Was- God damn it
0: you son of a bitch! He was first off my board too, so he can phase through the oven, check the temperature with his android phase, and end. his soothing
2: voice has got to be a soothing
0: bonus. voice. Also, where vision really kills it, piping. You know, you don't shake and piping for decoration. And that's what you went for when you're a fucking android and you don't have actual nerves. Uh, <laughs> first on my some board, some fucking machine piping uh, can check the temperature. Constantly surveilling it from multiple data spectrums, uh, can see it all visible forms of light, vision. Hard pick.
1: Cool. Great. Hope you burn in hell. Um, <laughs> not unlike the cake that you mess up. So for me, uh, and some of the stuff that you've just said rings true, the Great British Baking Show. Baking more than cooking. As someone who cooks a little bit but doesn't bake all that much, baking is about precision there's not a lot of, like, I don't know, I guess I'll try this number and see what fucking happens, because it's all a science experiment in sheep's clothing, or in this case, cake's clothing. And so I will take, as my first overall pick yet, not the first overall pick in the draft, because you've already taken arguably it right up. the best, pour, best player on the board, I'll take Vision's creator, Tony Stark. A man who comes to science naturally. It is his language, and his language of love, might I add. And you know that Pepper Potts was getting some ooey-gooey chocolate lava cake (laughs) up in that bitch, okay, because of that quality precision scientific rendering. So I believe that Tony Stark is arguably as good as, if not a better player than Vision, even though I had Vision ranked higher. Who's second on your board?
2: I'm...
0: I kind of don't want to say, because I'm so sad about how badly I'm about to destroy you Uh-oh. in this draft. Uh-oh. It's getting pretty snarky for getting the mean, luck of the die. It's not snarky. It's just, just like, jump like in I'm, there. I'm your buddy. Jump in Florida. there. Scarlet Witch. Okay. That's she can remix. Right. All right. Also, has a relationship with Vision, Easy. so they can work well together. Easy. Furthermore, she can fucking bake reality, son. Like... Forget the chemicals and whatever cape you're making. She can do reality. She can, like, say, there are no more mutants, or everything is souffle, or oh. whatever she wants to do.
2: Or, or everyone is stilt men. You're welcome, Noah. Yeah,
0: or, yeah <laughs> you're, or you're an angel food cake right now, and bam, you're a fucking angel food cake. Like, yeah. That's a deep pull. If you have Vision doing the science from front to back, phasing through the oven wall, Scarlet Witch... She's got the other half of it. She's got all the magic of baking. So there you go. You know what?
1: I thought about the Scarlet Witch when I was putting together a draft board. But if you look at my draft board, she's not on there. You know Does she why? She a bad
0: dad. That, not, she comes from a bad.
1: <laughs> I'm not small minded, Caleb. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I all believe right. that. I believe that it doesn't take a woman to be a good baker. All right. You fucking misogynist. She, words okay. in my mouth. Uh-huh. Not literally anything I said. reality. I think, <laughs> um,
2: I think it's an asset.
1: In a similar. But less sexist
2: vein. Whoa, whoa. I will choose
1: Stephen Strange pre accident. Okay? (laughs) I'm talking the Stephen Strange. You want a surgeon? I want a fucking surgeon.
0: You want a neurosurgeon. Do you
1: know who needs to be more precise than a surgeon? No one. Because life and death is predicated on the certainty of a surgeon.
2: Wait, this is a team event, right? Yeah. So Tony Stark and pre-accident Stephen Strange are going to work well together on a team?
1: Uh, That's not how it works. If you watch the Great British Breaking Show, producer Ross, there's not a lot of collaboration. There are instead only baked items evaluated against one another. And so here's how I see this. Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry and Sue and Mel are walking along and they're like, my goodness. Vision really baked some wonderful, but if I'm being honest, heartless tarts. Okay. (laughs) Tony Stark, though. A little bit charming, a little bit tardy, okay? Now, as I walk down the line, Scarlet Witch, mm, a lot of flash, no substance. But my goodness, that's Stephen Strange, he seemed to really get this, and he was hyper accurate. Can you imagine a better presentation than Stephen Strange's on the Great British Baking Show? You want to talk about piping, motherfucker? The mad ha- man has hands <laughs> that can cut people open and save their lives. So... I get that you got to pick first. I get that you got to take Vision off the board. I also get that, if I'm being totally honest, I think you're losing. Who's third on your board?
0: So, because you missed it. And I don't want any kind of conflict with Scarlet Witch and Vision, which is a lovely couple. Uh, I'm going to go for the other one. Peter Parker, the Spider-Man. A chemist so skilled, he made an ultra-high-tensile weapon out of uh, n- basically nothing but what he could gather in a queen's apartment uh, in his home chemistry set that somehow deludes within an hour. If you want a man who understands the chemistry and the science of baking, you don't go for a mechanical engineer like Stark. You go for a hard, in-the-fucking-paint-organic chem major like Peter Parker, the man who can admit fucking web shoot. Also, he has heart. Also... You want heart? You want someone that, like, Sue and Mel are gonna fucking love? Peter Parker. He's adorable from front to back. I want to see him in an apron right now, and I'm just talking about it. Uh, so Peter Parker's the third on my team. This was a good choice. I, at one point, had on my draft board
1: Toby Maguire's Peter Parker, but as I understand that was Sony's Spider-Man. That was And he sort of MCU. develops
0: glands in his wrists, which is not particularly in- interesting. In but... I'm sitting there thinking to myself... Tell you know, me you don't want to see Andrew Garfield bake something,
1: though. No, I do. I would even take new, <laughs> I would even take new Spider-Man baking something. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm yeah, down. yeah. For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Okay, okay. Third on my list. And this is... Look, he's going to be the worst baker of the lot. Okay? I'm, I'm ready to... ready. He's, to, a number,
0: he's a four pick.
1: Accept that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting into the muck a little bit here, yeah. right? But I like your idea about Spider-Man. Like, who's not going to like eating some of Spider-Man's baked goods. You know, because I believe that 97% of the competition is what you bake, and 3%, arguably an outsized 3%, though, is about how you interact with the judges. Mel, Sue, Paul Hollywood, Mary Berry. So I thought, why not get a fucking god himself? I'll take Thor. Because you can't tell me (laughs) that Mary Berry, and maybe Paul Hollywood, if I'm being honest, is isn't going to roll up on a specimen like that and go, hmm. I like what you've done
0: there, sir. Okay, here's why I'm a great competitor in this. I will admit that's a great pick. Thank you. Because if you're going to do meat pies, that's right. No one's going to do it like Thor. That's right. With his Viking heritage.
1: Also, like that dude, he probably, given the decadence with which they live, right in mm-hmm. in Valhalla, mm-hmm. that, Asgard, Asgard. Thank you. Yeah, that wrong, wrong, wrong heaven. Yeah, definitely. yeah, Asgard. Uh, that dude probably has seen some fucking pastries we don't even know about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's going to be bringing in shit like, well, one time, you know, we served this at Odin's 5,000th birthday party, and people <laughs> are going to like, oh, my God, you know? So I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like maybe I got a one-up here. So I'll let you round out your frankly privileged and frankly subpar team with your fourth overall pick.
0: Go ahead. Good luck. Um, so I didn't expect to get this deep in the cut. Because I didn't expect to get all my picks this early in the game, but I got it. And like Kevin Costner in that Draft Day movie, I'm going to adjust. So here's the thing. If I'm going to go this deep in the paint, if I already got Vision, I already got Scarlet Witch, I already got Peter Parker in the fourth round, I'm going to give you an upset pick that you didn't see coming. Man thing. What? The off-brand Swamp Thing, who can grow his ingredients at... Will- this Do you is not in the MCU? Yes. Man-Thing is in the MCU. Where's Man-Thing in the MCU? Look it up, Ross. Producer Ross,
1: that's your goal. I'm literally looking at the MCU on Wikipedia right now, and of all the things I see, Man-Thing, nor Man-Thong, makes the list.
0: Man-Thing's the thing. Swamp Thing's the DCU, right? M-C-U, mm-hmm. motherfucker. Man things MCU. I don't see MCU is what I'm saying. Strong things DC. But but this is MC. Marvel. I know. Man thing is Agents of Shield. He was an Agents of Shield. Man thing, bitches. Man thing, you want ginger? Do you want some rose? He will fucking grow you on. Do you want to know when the rose has hit the perfect level of flavor? The Rose, I don't see man the Rose will, will fucking Shield. tell you.
2: Agents of Shield, uh one, two, oh, nothing personal. Um it's one of many individuals monitored by SHIELD. It's never on screen. He's just mentioned.
0: Never on screen. This- it was a deep cut and I deep cut you, son. Uh he can grow <laughs> his own fucking ingredients and his ingredients can fucking talk to him. Find to me a better baker, I dare you. Okay. Well, given that I don't even accept the
1: level of gamesmanship that you've just played, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm playing
0: fourth dimensional chess here, man. I was seeing how long, how long I I'm could... I'm building dynasties, not
1: seasons. I was seeing how long I could let this go. because This thought, is like
2: a Patriots-level uh, uh, yeah. scandal. This I is thought, like Deflategate. Man. I thought, like,
1: there is no way I'm going to get through seven picks before I get to pick this person. And arguably, it's the best pick in the whole draft. But you know what? You oh, like, you
0: waited just to. You just said to dunk it on me? I sandbagged you. Okay, sure.
1: Because after this happens, because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to name this pick, and then I'm going to flip the table, and the recording's going to end because the microphones are going to be on the Hey, I floor. know what the first Twitter poll uh, is after Cage
0: Bash. Wait, yeah. what? Who won this right, fucking right. draft?
1: Producer Ross, safeguard your microphones because here it comes. No,
2: please don't do that.
1: None other than Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Can you imagine no. a better character? In the Great British Baking Show tent, a, pe- a place. I've imagined
0: four better characters. <laughs> a
1: place. I've ah. literally just done that. Of <laughs> idyllic calm and tranquility. And here's Samuel L. Jackson. Just, st- it's a cake, motherfucker! Just yelling stuff at you while he throws tarts and uh, crepes. Why is everyone
2: making tarts? And like, there's a lot of biscuits tarts going around.
1: And wafers and cookies, and other shit that is made on the show that I can't remember right now. I'll tell you right, right, I am I will put a wager on it. I'll take Samuel L. Jackson against The Vision all day. I will take Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury against The Vision in The Great British Bank Show. Put it on the poll, that's it. When this shit lands, ladies and gentlemen, I need to know from you, how many of you would take Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury over The Vision? In the Great British Baking Show Special Edition, colon, MCU. I just feel bad now. Caleb, I accept gifts I've, of I've, all shapes and I've sizes. i dunked on you
0: so hard, I feel, I feel bad. It bothers I, me After not. you prefacing with the s'mores thing, I just... Oh,
1: God. Yeah, frankly, as the only expert baker of the lot, expert enough to understand what a fucking <laughs> abomination of heat and science s'mores are, <laughs> uh, I feel overly qualified to tell you that my team... Here, here's my fifth pick that I was going to make at you just to piss you off because I really thought you were going to go I thought I was going to go Vision 1 you were going to go Tony Stark 2 Tony Mm -hmm. Stark didn't make your list I was going to go Justin Hammer I'm going to be honest with you just to antagonize Stark from across the
0: room Man things the deep cut you're going Justin Hammer yeah well I didn't
1: go Justin Hammer instead I went Nick Fury anyways This has been our first new segment in a hell of a long time. It's the Mix 6 Mock Draft, hashtag MSMD. I really want to get that trending on Twitter. I know it's not going to happen, but goddammit, help me here. If you've been listening this whole time, it means that you are, at a minimum, listening to this shit for free. Thank you so much for doing that. If you're not going on to our Patreon-only segment, we totally get it, and we appreciate all of the time that you've spent with us. And by
0: the way, if you're wondering where Ask Mix 6 went, Ask Mix 6 this week was so good, and so far above the... Pale with Adam L. Yeah. From what I wanted to talk about, we threw it into a drunken Enough. Yeah, and if you're at $4 you're hearing it anyway right. So thank if you're at you. $2 you're hearing it yeah, anyway yeah, yeah exactly so, so uh, if you're
1: not going on we totally get it thanks so much for everything that you do even though you're not paying for the podcast which is totally fine please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes follow us on Twitter at The Mix 6 or Facebook facebook.com slash The Mix 6 and as always be, sh- be sure to check out our website www.com, www.themix6.com uh, other than that we thank you for everything that we, you do and we'll see you on the other side in another episode where we drink more beer talk about about more random shit and hopefully have more mock drafts depending on how this one went i think it was a solid 10
0: i'm really excited to see in your subtopic suggestions some mock draft suggestions this meets this bingo, that be really fun
1: bingo bango on that note we'll see you next time and if you're sticking around we'll be back in just a minute thanks everybody
0: money what you drinking? oh i love that mm-hmm. that's money
1: man that's great let's make that a thing um i am drinking a beer that is near and dear to my heart as it comes to us from free state brewery in lawrence kansas where i spent a number of years of my life mm-hmm. and have very fond memories the free state brewery was a wonderful place the part of kansas that does not belong right that's absolutely right yeah the, in fact <laughs> if you live in lawrence you call it the people's republic of lawrence
2: okay
1: <laughs> this is from free state brewery this is the ad astra ale and it's their red and it's fucking delicious now i will be honest if i could get it on tap probably a five for me can't get it on tap drinking it out of a bottle in springfield missouri it's a hard four okay so it is a zalo supercell that is not a criticism it is also one of the most drinkable reds i've ever had and that's one of my favorite things about a good Irish red, that it's drinkable and it's got some flavor to it. So I would highly recommend, if you can find it, the Ad Astra Ale from Free State Brewery. On that note, if you're I with us— I think we've ran the gamut of one,
0: two, three, four, five in this whole have episode. Have we done—I think we've
1: maybe done like a whole—yeah, I think that's true. Maybe. Hot yeah. damn. Uh, hey, if you're, lis- if you're listening to this right now, that means that you're at least at the two-dollar level because you're listening to the Patreon-only paywall stuff. Thank you so much for being with us through, hopefully, the entirety of the episode leading up to, including the part where I beat Caleb's ass in a Mix 6 mock draft. Not hashtag true. NSD. And now you're with us for Drunk Enough, which is, of course, the last segment we typically include in these podcasts. It's after we've had the most amount of beer. We take on what we
0: think is the most difficult topic. And, Caleb, today, what are we talking about? We are going to talk about in something that Adam... L suggested to us in I believe an Axe six post but it was just too good and too controversial for us to discuss uh, well it was too good for to us not to discuss else, yeah. and it was too controversial for us to discuss anywhere but drunk enough uh, Adam uh, suggests what's your idea of masculinity can the word be saved or does it intrinsically exist in opposition to the shrew archetype of femininity uh, is every male human doomed to be an asshole? By definition, question mark. Um, by the way, if you're not into us virtue signaling, get out now. Right, time to run. It's too late. The self-destruct sequence is going. The virtue signal is in the sky. <laughs> this is this is going to be brutal. <laughs> yeah.
1: Man, this one's tough. Um, and yet, um, what's interesting is that when you and I were looking at uh, options for this for these topics you and i we both, both twigged
0: on this quickly
1: yeah. yeah too like oh yeah that one stands out i want i want to get on that you know what i mean uh so i've been thinking a lot about this since we talked about it a couple of days ago uh what it, what it means to be masculine and i'm thinking about it in two veins the first is what i think the answer is and the second is the great irony of this question <laughs> which is here are three males who have in some ways obviously bucked traditional definitions of masculinity in now seven eighteen episodes of talking about nerd culture, pop culture, sports as a not a joke, but certainly as a spectator spectacle mm-hmm. rather than an interactive experience. Yeah. Um, and, and so I understand kind of the, the tongue-in-cheek irony of all this. Not to say that what I'm about to say or what any of us are about to say about the nature of masculinity is tongue-in-cheek, but rather that yeah I suppose it's at least interesting for me academically to have this conversation amongst people who probably don't have at their core a traditional definition of
0: masculinity so here's here's where I got that from so like here's the thing I think Adam's question's great for a different reason and without irony like so for instance like i've I think you would ask us about masculinity for the same reason you would ask us like ask a prisoner how society was going. Mm. <laughs> like does that make sense? Like how how do they deal with the lowliest right. of their kind yeah. to determine the actual like level of their achievement right. in that spectrum? Right. Cuz um in my regard like I am a, I am both like the worst example of masculinity while still Personally, trying to cling to some sort of definition of it because I sure. know I feel some sort of shame as a result of it. Yeah. I haven't defined myself otherwise, and I'm not saying anything bad about people who have. Right, good for you. I kind of envy you. Actually, I don't. Ki- I definitely envy you in multiple cases. Right, but. Um, I think we're the perfect people to answer this because yep. we have enough distance to see it, while at the same time still sort of desiring it. As I a hope label. so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm coming from the same direction as you. I think right. this is the one we have to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I, I came at it from a different direction. Yeah. So I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna try two things here. Uh, one is to give my answer, and then one is to say where my answer comes from. And I and I guess I'll probably give the the latter first, which is a little bit backwards. I understand the nature of former and latter. So. Um, I grew up uh, with, a, with a stepdad who I think is, in my mind, kind of the pinnacle of masculinity. Um, and so that, that is not a criticism, given everything that I just said about us being kind of on the outside of this thing looking in. Um, but rather, w- what, what my t- 27, 26 years with, with him has shown me is that, at least for me, masculinity is not about the performative stuff, the peacock stuff. Um, it's about the substance stuff, so it's about what you do. Okay, uh, so for me, masculinity—the the what's my idea of it—is a willingness to sacrifice in order to protect others. And I'm not saying that that is in contradistinction to femininity at all. I think that's very much a part of some of our feminine traditions. But I am saying that at the core of that, it is the willingness to say that I am less than for the purposes of you making more than. And so I have watched this man over the last 26 years kind of deal with an untold amount of shit for the purposes of making everyone around him better. So for me, the idea of masculinity is I will go out of the way. Out of my way to make sure that Brandy, my wife, and certainly my close friends are in, a, in better position than they were when I met them or certainly in better position than I hope that they're in currently even. Um, and I will do whatever I can to do that. Now, what will I do, though? That's the performative question. What's the act of masculinity then? For me, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, The performative question of masculinity is far less relevant than the, the, the kind of telos, end question of masculinity, which is what it is you're trying to accomplish. And for me, what I'm trying to accomplish is a better life for the people around me. So... Uh, if that Your means ends
0: justify the means, that's right. in Defining mask,
1: that's right. If that means doing a podcast uh, to openly mock myself uh, and also cultural and social values that yeah. I find repugnant for the purposes of creating some long-term security and frankly giving myself a little bit more of an enjoyable life to protect those around me, that's great. If that means doing that while I'm also working a full-time job and doing some consulting on the side, okay, that's all fine. Um, because it falls within the rubric of sacrifice uh, in in the vein of taking care of others. And that, for me, is kind of the root of what I've taken from what it means to be a a man, whatever the fuck that means, I guess, a man in 2017.
0: So I I love what you're saying there with, like, it is my ability to provide and, like, sacrifice for the ones I love. And here's the thing that I really like. So I, I agree with Adam here is, like, is it sort of doomed to be an archetype to the shrew archetype of femininity? Cause the idea that like to man up to be masculine sure. is to provide and sort of like, that is sort of intrinsic of patriarchy yeah. and sort of intrinsic of the system. And, there are very few linguistic shifts as an English teacher that I applaud but one of the few of them that I really like is the concept of adulting Yeah, because it's gender neutral I really like the term adulting in that you are doing this activity like balancing your checkbook or buying groceries that are healthy or cooking for yourself rather than eating out this activity that is sort of intrinsically innately unpleasant Sure, but you're doing it for the sake of both yourself in the long term right. and others Yeah, and I love the fact that adulting sort of sacrifices the kind of term for like gendering that uh, that sacrifice. Yeah. Because I feel like your mom, um, God bless her, with her questionable choices of showing you it at Three or four years yeah, old. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Um, was was doing the same thing, right? And I feel like my mom was doing the same thing, and I feel like every adult is doing the same thing. When you sort of take onto yourself as like I have experienced this world up until a point that I understand that certain things are more enjoyable than others. Yeah, I know this is not enjoyable, but I also understand that consequences can be long term. Yeah, I have of my own free will, like knowingly accepted that and will move forward. Yeah. At points where it's not like shittily, disgusting, MRA, like fuck as many hoes as you can, have a job splitting wood and like killing deer with your teeth or whatever masculinity is supposed to be. At points where it's actually noble, I think it is, this is miserable, this is not life-affirming, this is disgusting. I'm gonna do it anyway, right? For the sake of my family, well, and that is not a choice specific to males. No, in fact, I would argue it's a choice more associated with females. Right? I think that's the trick. Is um,
1: that I can see, I can see the the barrage of Facebook posts and or responses on the Patreon flowing now. Right? That that. Because, in my mind, I've got it wired that, that a core of masculinity is providing for others, I, I want to be clear. What, I, what I'm not saying here is the belief that it is the job of the man to provide and the job of the woman to consume.
0: I don't think these things are in competition. Yeah, I don't if think there's anything in masculinity gain. to save, right. it is that. Yeah. And if there's any way to save it, it is making that gender neutral. Right,
1: that's right. I think the, 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 this is a complementary role to all, all social circles. And so what I'm saying is, um, certainly because I don't understand, I, I don't understand it a real true having experienced sense, what it means to be a female, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be feminine in the kind of traditional social objective sense. What I'm saying is given the role that I'm supposed to perform and that we question all the time and that kind of, we are, you know, we are at the core of saying like, I don't fucking know. I mean, you know, we just had a debate about what superheroes would bake best, I suppose. Um... What I'm saying is the most important thing to me, masculine or not, I guess, but masculine given my role, is to make sure that the people around me are are, are taken care of and are in a position where they can do what they want or need to do to survive. That is not to deny that role
0: at a gender neutral, neutral position as well. I, I'm gonna fully acknowledge that role as primarily feminine throughout history. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the single mother trope has been adulting right. in terms of noble sacrifice way harder than the masculine role yeah. for the entirety of human history for throughout sure. almost all cultures. Right. Now um, let me extrapolate a little bit though.
1: You know, the other half of Adam's question that I haven't gotten to a little bit and you've alluded to is that is every male human doomed to be an asshole by definition? Let me say this, that I think what, what you're asking there is that in the performance of what it means to be uh, stereotypically male, are you supposed to be a little bit domineering, a little bit controlling, a little bit stereotypical, and a little bit subversive uh, of, of the feminine archetype? Yeah, probably a little bit, um, which is why I don't have a whole lot of interest in, in, in that. I am, however, kind of interested in the extrapolation of some of those characteristics. So, for example... Um, I do think that there is some nobility in once you 've found a partner or a friend a close friend even even a not so close friend you know a weak tie as opposed to a strong tie. I do think that there is some nobility call it masculinity if that 's where it fits for you in defending others. Um, almost without question You know so the idea that If someone were to criticize you or producer Ross To some extent even though he plays a lot of payday too uh, <laughs> Would I be willing To say yeah but fuck you a little bit because Producer Ross is also great I'm,
0: I'm totally with you I'm, I'm ballgame on that one like so let's go I, I totally agree with what you're saying here So here's the thing the nobility Of masculinity should not be solely Ascribed right. to the male Amen. or the gender Identified because right. that's fucking Horrible that is the nexus Of patriarchal power yeah but the negativity of masculinity, are we ready to say the negative aspects of it are without worth? Because I'm not ready to say that. So, for instance, I'm all for reason. I should not say reason is solely defined to the male or oh, that yeah. horrific yeah. gender paradigm. Like, the good thing should be a fine to everybody. Right. But, but. Another thing that I think should be ascribed to everybody when a Nazi is talking on a street corner, should you punch that Nazi in the fucking face? That's a real testicle heavy, balls deep, masculine statement to be like, we are beyond discourse. Fuck you, asshole. Slug you in the face. But at the same time, I live in Trump's America. I'm not willing to totally take that off the board. Yeah. I'm not saying it should be the primary routine, right. but as a subroutine, right. is that something everyone deserves? Right. Like, Is there a point <laughs> yeah. in which all human discourse has to fucking say, alright, we've reached this point in right. my subroutines, at some point, one part of me has to go insane and punch you in the face. No, this is kind of interesting. This like is, this that's is, what I'm really saying. Like I'm not saying the good of masculinity should be solely ascribed to masculinity, right? But I am saying are, saying are some of the negative parts of masculinity useful for both and every gender? Right. It's it's the it's the Frank Miller Alan Moore inverse
1: of Batman, right? That at some point fascism is actually okay because you live in a society far more that fascist is fascist. Than your own. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right. So is, is there? Given the current political. I do you live climate, in a society
0: where might makes rice right. and if so, should you get mighty enough yeah. to make it right a different way? Sure.
1: But I think that I yeah. think that what you're talking about there is the nature of an act rather than the agent of an act. You know what I mean? And and I don't think that it, so so if we say that the nature of that act is, is ascribed to masculinity, that does not
0: mean it is necessarily attached to a male. And that's the thing. Right. I'm not saying I am saying that like if we discard masculinity, should we be careful? And I, I'm gonna be honest, Adam. We should discard masculinity. It's not a great look for anyone. I like. That's why I like the term adulting because it's completely gender neutral.
1: Yeah, but, but I if but we I discard don't like it in the ironic sense, right?
0: Like, I don't. Yeah. But if we discard it, should we make sure we're not just taking the best things from it? Because yeah. like self sacrifice, yeah. Um, looking after others, right? This, these sort of like the the sort of reason over pathos right. thing. All of these things should be taken as, like, humanity ideals, not ge- ideals through gender. Sure. But in discarding it, should we not pick a few of the shitty ideals that, I would argue, define masculinity more than the ultimate idealities? Yeah. Be Like, fuck you, I want to fight you. Fuck you, I'm a, I'm a human that has sure. sexual needs, that has desires that don't necessarily have to be acted upon. Right. But I should acknowledge they oh, exist. Yeah. Should we take some of those shitty aspects of it and, again... Along with the sort of noble aspects of it, which are rare. Yeah. Should we take those and sort of elide them across all gender spectrums?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, I, li- I like this idea partially because, let's not lie, a time or two you and I have made, probably on this on this podcast, I'm not sure, an Ed Hardy joke... That was a not-so-subtle uh, caveman joke. You know yeah. what I mean? That that at some point we're talking about the lowest of the low, the the, the common denominator of
0: what it means to walk around being a man. Um, and at the same time, I know we have a listener across a wide degree of spectrums I'm also probably sure and I'm sorry about this but I'm also probably sure that I've been programmed to the point that I've made a joke or a comment that was depressingly
1: male. yeah you. for sure what, I'm, what like, I'm yeah what I'm saying is that, that there's some of that in there right whatever the joke is mm-hmm. there's some of that in there which is also reasonable to say that yeah, yeah whatever jokes I might make the base instinct there though which is to at times. Be primally aggressive. Yeah. Sometimes you can just fight them. Sometimes, like, sometimes you just need to defend whatever is important to you, and mm-hmm. if that means being primally aggressive or whatever it means, look, that's obviously not my speed. If it is my speed, it is the 147th speed down. You know, after some combination of sarcasm, but should snark, it be arguing, the
0: 147th speed down? Right. I'm not. I'm at no point am I advocating it for it to be first. Right. But do we need to? In- to get rid of entirely, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't live in a fucking Star Trek post scarcity universe, right? At some point, right. If someone's being an asshole, yeah, for sure, you need to just fucking slug them. I mean, like, I'm not, like I don't know that I'm. I don't, naked aggression has a place. Yeah, it's, it's a place that's constantly over prioritized. Yes, in modern society, absolutely, and I have no point negating that. But does it have a place at all? And that's a question I'm asking. I'm not saying yes or no.
1: I don't. I don't know that I know the answer to that, and I want to because I don't. I mean, I've already taken a cop out on a few of these questions today, and I don't feel bad about that. (laughs) Uh, Again, hashtag masculinity. Um, uh, Partially because, by and large, I'm I'm unwilling to make categorical claims. Um, I think that they just miss the boat on what it means to be human. But I think that if I had to respond to the question that you've asked, that should we carte blanche do away with the stereotypical assessment of what it means to be masculine as a a whole cloth issue? No, I don't think we should. I mean, I think there is some value in, I think that we exist because in some ways there's been some willingness to say, blind rage, this thing matters to me, and reason be damned, I'm going
0: to defend it. I Uh, mean, yeah, we recently went to Pride. The other day, and, and uh, we took some Twitter pictures, and I was there. And But here's the thing. I've known some, like, and I'm going to use the term that they use to identify themselves, bull dykes that are hard in the paint. Lesbians. Yeah, just for were. sure. And here's the thing. I'm not going to say the things that make them great people is not being their own gender. Like, that's fucking, like... It, it's debilitating. It's sort of delirative. It right. sort of it denies their existence. The thing that makes them great is the fact that they're fucking awesome people that, like, don't cow to fucking social pressure. That, like, will be shouted out by Christocrits in the Springfield streets and will go fight their fucking asses. Yeah. Like, in cargo shirts and camo tees, it yeah. will, like, fucking suck. Some right. guy hanging across saying you get to bow a- And, like, that's not... That's not a male thing. They're not good for being male. They're awesome human beings. So, like, is there something in the fuck-you-fight-me realm of masculinity, which is a largely defining factor of it, that deserves to be saved? Sure. Because that's my sort of question that came up with that. Sure. No, I—yes, I I think there is. Yeah. Um, I think
1: that where I'm having trouble parsing it is that, especially given the number of conversations that we have, both on this show and off this show— um, you know we we play in a world of popular culture, which is far more liberal than it ever has been, but which still at the end of the day at least still part, not enough part of that pie yeah. right is about men wearing spandex and capes flying around saving other people mm-hmm. um, and so you know to the part of adam 's question, which is does masculinity necessarily exist? intrinsically in opposition to a shrew archetype of femininity. You know, I understand that we also toe a very delicate line there which is to say no I don't believe that it does. In fact, you know, I went out of my way only a couple of minutes ago to say that the the things that for me make up masculin- masculinity are probably gender neutral but I have taken them from what is a traditionally masculine person. Uh so no, but I also understand that much of what we talk about, much of the discourse that we invoke probably does very much rely on what is a fairly binary approach to gender um which is you know the superhero pop culture universe where we understand things in a gender reductive sense men are this way women are this way
0: and we've also talked about identity before and we know where i stand on that and that it's primarily if not entirely performative yeah so like here's my struggle as a podcast host that you can listen to right. in every previous episode every past episode I am trying to pick the best of the performances. Right. And I am sadly programmed to go one or the other. Right. Um, And so that's really my constant struggle. It's like I'm trying to pick the best of masculinity, the best of femininity. I'm trying to be the best person. Right. I'm not trying to be the best man until I realize I am. Yeah. Because I've been programmed to be for the entirety of my life. Right. So um, I would argue for Adam's question is like it's really a matter of acknowledging that there are aspects of every gender that are used as sort of power structures to oppress the other. There are aspects of every gender that are used as sort of shame signifiers of that gender. Sure. And I don't think it's enough to say that like this was used to oppress people so it is something that we should get rid of as an identity. Right. And I don't think it's enough to say this was used to empower people so that's something we should celebrate yeah yeah I I think you have to take it on a case-by-case basis regardless of the gender roles because if we're acknowledging that the gender roles are bullshit and we are on this podcast, virtue signaling. Fuck you, iTunes virtue signaling. Um, If we are acknowledging the, that gender roles are a sort of like artificial signifier, we're acknowledging that it's probably artificial across the board in terms of like virtue and utility. Right. And I am acknowledging that there's probably some shitty shit in masculinity that everyone could use some more of. There's yeah. probably some positive shit in masculinity that isn't positive in masculinity, it's positive in human nature. And vice versa for femininity yep. and everything in between. You probably need to t- pick your s- fucking spots. Right. And I think ultimately you need to like pick your fucking spots and acknowledge that your spots aren't everyone's spots and that everyone's trying to fucking figure it out. Right. So that comes to you from a couple of assholes by definition.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we were happy to have talked to you about that and to Male ha-
0: assholes to boot
1: ha- Have have resolved your either or Question by saying both and So you are welcome for the fuckery there Adam <laughs> uh, Thanks for the submission though as always we appreciate your questions Hey if you've been with us for this whole time it means that You're at least paying us a little bit of something For this podcast and we can't tell you how much we appreciate Thank it Thank you much um, If you're not following us on Twitter please do At The Mixed 6 if you're not following us On Facebook or Facebook.com slash The 6 We have a page and a group we'd be happy if you'd get into both, so you could see updates on both ends of that spectrum. And if you haven't rated or reviewed on iTunes, please please feel free to. Whatever number you'd like to give and whatever you view, review you'd like to give, that's okay. Of course, we'd love a five, and we'd even better love a positive review if I'm being totally yeah, write honest. Write some words out. Yeah. Good words, even. Yeah,
0: good on you. That That'd would be, a be good one.
1: tight. But no big deal. It's Keep totally it up. cool. If you don't want to, we totally get it. Thanks so much for everything that you already do, including your time, your energy, and your resources for listening to all of this. Once again, this has been The Mixed Six. I'm Spencer. I am Caleb.
0: And that is producer, producer Ross.
1: Ross. hey Okay, a little bit more <laughs> quiet.
0: He's he's pretty butthurt about this whole payday, too, thing, if I am totally <laughs> Talking about signaling toxic
1: masculinity. That's right. That's thing. right. That's right. We, yep. we did it off. Yeah yep yep that's the part we shouldn't get rid of yeah uh listen if you've been here the whole time we appreciate everything you've done for us we'll see you on the other side don't forget to check out all of the other things we do including hot takes and snippets of adventure as well as more new episodes coming your way soon we will see you in the near future have a great day everybody